Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Spra. As elite sport continues through the phase of hyper-commercialization, sport teams are paying more attention to cause-related marketing, or CRM. But how effective are these cause-related marketing initiatives at creating mutual benefits? Well, that's the topic for this episode. Joining us to discuss this is a researcher who's published a number of papers on network structures and cause-related marketing in sport organization. She's a researcher in the Department of Movement and Sports Sciences at Ghent University. It's Cleo Shivink. Welcome, Cleo. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Cleo and co-authors Michael Narain, Bram Constance, and Anik Willem recently published a network perspective on cause-related marketing collaborations in professional sport. Now, Cleo, so much is being talked about now with uh, corporate social responsibility, and we've got the, all these other things going on in, uh, in professional elite sport. How did this paper help our understanding of the area? Right. So let me maybe start by explaining indeed a little bit what cause-related marketing or CRM is about. So basically, cause-related marketing in sport is about collaborations of sport teams with good causes or social partners um, that can deliver win-win outcomes. So it's about creating shared value for sport and society through what we call mutually beneficial um, relationships or collaborations. In order to create shared value, sport organizations uh, must balance economic and social goals. And sport teams rely really on collaborations with many stakeholders, such as fans, corporate sponsors, local authorities, league governing bodies, to attain this dual outcome. Especially these partnerships can provide them with like resources, knowledge, and access to successfully implement um, CRM strategies. However, many sport organizations kind of still struggle with finding that balance and with managing contrasting stakeholder demands, right? And as such, these partnerships uh, often remain trivial and, and CRM efforts remain under leveraged. And also from a scholarship point of view, mostly CRM research is like instrumental in nature and with a lot of focus on consumers and outcomes, a very result-oriented research at the expense of like larger stakeholder and management views. So Basically, uh, we know from the literature and like scholars like uh, Kathy Babiak and Sakil that stakeholder collaborations are very important to attain these higher levels of uh, strategic CSR. But what we don't know is actually how these stakeholder relationships should be uh, like selected, developed and managed. That's basically what our research um, has been done. So we've been taking a network perspective to deliver exactly that. So to uh, look at characteristics of collaborations, like look at the roles, coordination, power, strengths of connections in the network, and to look also at types of collaborations. And in our case, we looked at how they share uh, information, physical and human resources and finances through the network. And we looked at how all these things, these network variables kind of create opportunities and challenges uh, for managing CRM, basically. And like you said, so there's, there's been so much on the, on the consumer end and, and that idea. So you thought that taking the network perspective was going to be much more insightful. Yeah, so indeed, we know a lot on, on stakeholder collaborations, but we need, um, especially on like functional aspects of it, and we know a lot on like dyadic relations between um, mostly the sport organization and, for example, the fan 
or the sport organization and the nonprofit organization. But what we lack is really the structural insights behind the broader web of stakeholders that are shaping CSR engagement and CRM collaboration. So there's really a need to kind of go beyond the, the qualitative insights we have on collaborations and to take it to a more structural and systematic and quantitative um, perspective. So that's what we try to do with this paper. And you took a, a social network analysis approach to it. Can you tell us a bit more about what that actually means and how that was useful for, for studying this area? Yeah, absolutely. So, so social network analysis is basically a, te a technique that comes from, from network theory, right? And network theory is well suited to look at like informal collaborations and um, the, I would say, non-hierarchical kind of partnerships. And so network theory focuses on the relationships between actors and not on the actors themselves. And so actors are viewed as embedded in relationships, which presents opportunities and constraints based on this position in the network. And CRM departments, the people managing CSR or CRM in sport organizations, for example, they don't only have direct relationships, as we are well aware of, between them and the nonprofit organization, for example, but also indirect ties. And you can imagine that having a tie with a, a certain actor is also influenced by the ties that this actor has, right? So it's about also looking at indirect ties because these are often left in the dark. And so more structural approaches reveal these kinds of connections. So network theory is very much focused on the context and is therefore well suited, we thought, to compare two distinct approaches of uh, CRM strategies. And social network analysis is basically the technique to uh, look into these structures of network and to map them based on a sociogram. And you took the, the case study of two professional football clubs in Belgium. I should perhaps explain so how we define the two cases. There's a, a scholar, he, he's called Liu. He's uh, worked on some, some fundamental CRM research in which he said there's two dominant logics of organizations that define how they approach CSR or CRM. He says there's an instrumental logic and a relational logic. And the instrumental logic basically says that organizations aim for, um, so they engage in social practices, but they really want to gain some economic benefits from it. And they want to see it as an instrument that really delivers these economic benefits for the organization. Whereas the relational dominant logic takes a more, yeah, the word says itself, a relational point of view, like teams in this, this motivation, they engage in CRM to yeah, show goodwill to stakeholders, to engage with stakeholders, to build relationships in the local community, to get resources through stakeholder collaborations, and to make sure their image as responsible organizations is built through that way. So these are two different kind of logics, but they are not mutually exclusive. So there's kind of overlap between these two logics. And based on a high and low uh, weighting of the two logics, Liu kind of defined four CRM strategies or types, if you like. So he defined an altruistic, a social, a commercial, and an integrative type. And we thought it would be interesting to look at the networks of the altruistic type and compare these to the, the integrative type. Because in the altruistic type, organizations would say that they have low instrumental and low relational motives to engage in CRM. Whereas in the 
integrative type, they say they have high uh, instrumental and high relational motivations behind engaging in, in, in society and doing CSR activities. We thought it would be interesting to like look at the networks of these two cases because, of course, we can think of the fact that collaborations would be different because they have different strategies, but we don't know that. We've never studied it before. So this study addressed this goal by comparing the structures and governance of collaborations in these two distinct CRM types. You used a a range of methods, which I found really interesting, some semi-structured interviews, questionnaires. How easy was it to get the, um, the managers of the clubs to talk because I know they can be, especially the elite professional clubs can be quite difficult to, to get a hold of. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a challenge. Although I do think that, and that's, I noticed that throughout my other research as well, that they are increasingly engaged with CSR and CRM and they, it's kind of triggered their attention. So they, I, I never experienced that it's hard to get them involved into the research. So it was more like we need to detect two cases that are really distinct and explicit in their CRM approach because we really wanted to compare an altruistic with an integrative team. So um, we did that through selecting two cases by doing interviews with like six different teams and also with the league to get insights on, yeah, based on the work of Liu, like what are their motives behind CSR? What are their strategies? What are their goals, their expected outcomes? Who do they wish to target? And based on all these insights from these six interviews, we selected the two that to us were most explicit on the instrumental and relational dominant logic. And so uh, who clearly fell into an altruistic and uh, an integrative uh, type. And then afterwards, these managers also like gave us a list or a starter group of organizations that they worked with to draft their CRM projects, uh, right? So afterwards, we were able to send a survey to all of the representatives of these organizations listed by the CRM managers of both those teams. And these people were questioned about their organization's collaborations with other organizations uh, on the list. And also they could nominate additional organizations that they considered important in the CRM network, but that were not on that list. How did you go about analyzing what I guess is is pretty varied data? So as I said, we did the social network analysis. So based on the recorded ties between the organizations, uh, so these were imported into UCINet, and that's a social network software program. And then we visualized also these networks in sociograms using um, NetDraw. And so the the comparative case study design allowed us to look at both network data within and between the two cases. And at the whole network level, we looked at uh, what we call average degree. And without going too technical, that basically gives an indication of the cohesion of the network. And we also looked at centralization, which kind of indicates the extent to which coordination is either shared by many actors or owned by one or a few actors. And then at the node level, so the more individual or actor level uh, of analysis, we looked at the different measures of centrality, three different uh, measures to assess influence, control and power of actors in the network. And then at the sub-networks level, we also looked at the types of exchanges, right? So we looked at information sharing, human uh, resources and physical resources sharing, and money uh, flowing through the network. 
so we looked at whether different kinds of resources were shared in both the networks, which we assumed, given that there are different uh, instrumental and relational goals. And we also looked for correlations between the three types of uh, collaborations within one network. From this analysis, what were the, the key findings that, that you found? We found both differences and similarities when comparing the networks of both cases. So in terms of the differences, we found that the collaborative structures at the whole network level of the altruistic type were smaller, more fragmented and centralized compared to uh, the structures of the integrative case. So in the integrative case, teams aimed for both instrumental and relational outcomes. And this was reflected in their network by a higher number of stakeholders involved, more and many stronger ties, and a higher cohesion in this network. Whereas in the altruistic network, organizations were less proactive in getting these marketing benefits and more concerned with just giving back to society. So these showed a lower number of actors, less ties and more fragmentation in their network. And then at the node level, we saw that the CSR department or the community department was central in both networks, so very important actor in both networks. But while it was very dominant in the altruistic network, it shared coordination with other important actors like the commercial department or uh, what you would call the, the management of the club. Uh, with sponsors and with the government also. And so the importance of these actors alongside the strong influence of the community department reflected kind of the strategy of the team to attain both instrumental and relational uh, goals, right? And, and the opposite was evidenced in the altruistic type, where the CSR department was really more dominant uh, and then the other nodes in the network reflected more the reactive and ad hoc approach by, by that case. So basically, we, we saw that in the altruistic case, in terms of governance, it was more what we call lead organization governed, whereas in the integrative type, uh, the network was more a shared participant governed network. Despite these differences, we could also conclude upon some similarities. And an important first similarity was that in both the networks, there was a lack of embeddedness of some key stakeholders, such as um, fans, staff, and, and players. So fans, uh, they played a less significant role compared to other stakeholders in the networks of both the teams studied, which suggests that teams execute CSR or CRM still more as a functional tool, uh, focusing their efforts towards convincing stakeholders, getting funding from stakeholders, rather than to the broader audience of fans and supporters. And I think this is quite recognizable to many other European clubs as well. So this poor external communication and fan engagement is really a missed opportunity to attain positive CRM outcomes and to further build this network. And also players, uh, I, I thought it was striking that these also kind of stayed at the periphery of, of both networks studied. Um, and these findings relate to, to some work of other scholars who mentioned that CSR is still often, and, and CRM is still often stuck in the boardroom, right? And handled more top-down than, than including these stakeholders and building a more integrative case for CSR. So yeah, we, we saw that it's still not everyone's job in the organization. This often results in teams having like, yeah, shiny CSR programs while players still demonstrate all kinds of 
unethical behavior on the field, right? So there's still some work to do there. And another important similarity was also the, the limited structure of the, the money network compared to the information and resources um, sharing in both cases. So this indicated the difficulty of, uh, of managing these relational and instrumental goals as, as equally important. So, and at the very core of, of CRM is that balance between uh, economic and social benefits so lacking these flows of financial resources can in this sense be problematic for yeah, the sustainability and durability of, uh, of any CRM initiative or strategy, um, irrespective of, uh, of whether you're an altruistic or integrative type. So, Having worked at a professional football club myself, that makes a lot of sense, <laughs> yeah, especially with about the players, for sure. Yeah, there's still some integration uh, to do there, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Very generalizable. Um, how did this advance our, our understanding of the theory as well? I think the, the research extends um, the knowledge and, and the theory on the fact that we went kind of beyond the consumer uh, response perspective that has been dominant in the, the CRM area of research. So, so this study took a more broad stakeholder perspective on CRM strategy implementation. And thereby, I think we addressed the call to move beyond like dyadic relationships when studying CRM and, and marketing in general. Comparing these, these two cases showed that, that stakeholders and collaborations differ in, in terms of the CRM strategy adopted which kind of confirmed the idea and the need also to step away from this one-size-fits-all approach to, uh, to CRM management. So I think a broader view was necessary and, and uh, we kind of contributed to that. And then finally, I think the network perspective provided a more quantitative approach to studying collaborations. And I think this has offered a more systematic understanding of how stakeholder relationships relate or should relate to, to CRM management. Um, and therefore, I think the paper contributes to, to further yeah, building on the, the conceptual development of uh, what is or what should be sustainable and strategic CRM management in sport and, and also beyond, I think. And just lastly, football clubs, professional sport clubs all over the world, from their perspective, what advice would you give them when they're working in CRM and CSR and trying to, to develop these initiatives? As said, the, these managers, they, they face pressures, right, from all kinds of stakeholders. They, they are increasingly pressured to be more strategic about CSR and CRM management. And Yet knowledge on how stakeholder collaborations can or should support um, this, this uh, endeavor remains uh, scant. So, um, yeah, I think this study provides sport managers with some, some more information on the number and type of stakeholders involved, and as well as missing, uh, and the number of, and type of ties, uh, the strength of certain ties in these two distinct approaches and, and in knowing which stakeholders are more powerful and more central in the network, managers are perhaps um, better equipped to, uh, to target certain relationships that are supportive of, uh, of their CRM strategy uh, that they want to develop. They can, for example, uh, reach out to organizations with complementary resources, resources sorry, like sponsors. Uh, I know a lot of teams are still yeah, doing it on their island, I think they can they can broaden up and like involve uh, commercial sponsors. They could do better at integrating social engagement in the organization by engaging staff, but also players to 
to get a more credible um, and integrated CSR uh, work. Um, yeah, and in the light thereof, we also proposed in the paper to, to think about installing what the network theory calls a, a network administrative organization, which could be like um, a charitable foundation. I know that many teams in the US work that way, but in Europe, it's not necessarily uh, always the case. And there's work from, from colleagues such as Poliperas and Anagnos Paulus who've uh, looked at the, the success or the, yeah, the, the power of such vehicles to, um, to potentially be more successful in uh, liaising with stakeholders because they are, can be more transparent and more um, authentic. Um, so I think in short, the knowledge about network structures may serve as a starting point for more effective CRM collaboration and, and CRM implementation. Um, and, and consequently, for, for more impact, basically, for more economic and social impact uh, of these uh, efforts. I like that idea of get off the island, get away from <laughs> your island and, and involve the players as well. Always a great idea. Claire, yeah. um, really great advice, really insightful research. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. It's uh, been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Claire. You're welcome. <laughs> And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research that's being published, including the article discussed in this episode, a network perspective on cause-related marketing collaborations in professional sport. That's it for this episode, but of course, there are many more you can listen to on your favorite podcast player. And if you could follow the podcast and give us a five-star rating, that'd be great too. Until next time, it's bye for now.